Well, we have been for the last couple of weeks in a uh, series of conversations about the idea of margins. Uh, margins uh, are, are the, the spaces between the other things. Uh, on a sheet of paper, uh, in a book, the margin is the place around the words. Um, on a highway, the margin is the thing between you and the car you're tailgating. And if you don't put on the brakes quickly enough, you'll slam into it. So you want a big margin when you're on the highway. A margin is a good thing, and we've seen that, that God wants us to have a margin in our lives, to have, to have margin, um, the, the, the cushion, the, the buffer zone, the, the headroom or wiggle room that we have around us in the area of our finances or the area of our, our time or other parts of our life so that we have uh, space that, that, that helps uh, uh, insulate us from shock and for, for other problems that come along. But what we're going to talk about today is the idea that margin is not just for us. Yes, it is for us. Yes, we sleep more soundly at night when we have financial margin. We um, sleep better when we have uh, fewer time commitments uh, or fewer uh, broken commitments because we're overbooked in our time. Uh, but it's not just for us. Margin is also where we help other people. When we have margin in our lives, we're able to help other people. And that just makes sense. If, if somebody comes up to you and wants to borrow five bucks, if you've got five bucks, then you get to decide, should I lend this person money? But if you don't have five bucks, you don't even get to go there. You, you just say, no, I can't. I don't have it. So margin, the places uh, in the edges of our life, the, the, the area that surrounds the bulk of our life, that's the place where we're able to give. It's the place where we're able to serve. If, if we don't have any, any time margin, um, then we can't volunteer. And I think a lot of us would like to be able to help other people. And so if we have margin, we can do that. If, if you want to volunteer um, as, a, as a coach in, in an after-school sports program, if you want to work um, with a volunteer agency, if you want to, to be more involved in civic affairs, any place that you'd like to be able to participate, you're going to need margin because that's where that's going to happen, is in the margins, the edges of your life. So we're going to look today at these passages from the, um, the Old Testament law. And I was thinking to myself, uh, you know, this is too late, right? The bulletin's printed. Um, I'm thinking to myself, you know, they're going to be voting on my terms of call later. Do I really want to preach from Leviticus? Um, but, but here I am, I'm committed. So um, a part of my job today will be to tell you that the law is a good thing. I think oftentimes Christians... Uh, fall into the, the mistaken, uh, the, the, the trap. We, we make the mistake, we fall into the trap of thinking of the law uh, negatively. We say to ourselves, well, the law can't be all that good, otherwise we'd still be under it, right? We'd still be trying to, to achieve the things in the law um, if it was any good. And, and that's not the way to think about the law. And I hope today to convince you otherwise uh, that the, the problem is not with the law. The problem is with us. It's true we, we, can't, um, we can't win God's favor by obeying the law, uh, but the reason is because we can't obey the law. If we could, and one person has, one person in history, Jesus Christ, did obey the law perfectly, and he had God's favor, and so he was able to, to pour out benefits on us. We can't achieve the law, much less the kind of perfection we see in Jesus. So the problem is not with the law, the problem is with us. So we have uh, are standing before God by grace, not by law. But the problem is not with the law. The, 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 the danger of having this idea that somehow the law is broken or flawed is that it makes us 
susceptible to this kind of pop culture idea that you see that, that God is, is uh, uh, different in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, people will say, well, I like, I like Jesus. I like the New Testament God. You know, Jesus, he's got kids on his lap and a, you know, he's petting a sheep or something. I like that God. But I don't like the Old Testament God. The Old Testament God is mean and he's up on a volcano and he's like hurling lightning bolts. I don't like that God. And what we see when we look at the law is that, is that that's not a true picture of God. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so what we see when we look closely at the law is that God is a loving God in the Old Testament and in the New. And we see that in the law. So, so by now I hope you found uh, Deuteronomy. I want to look at um, this passage. Um, uh, there, are, there are five books of, of the law in, in the Bible. The first five books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, um, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And, and they are the five law books. There's some stories in there, but mostly it's laws like we're going to look at today. So let's just plunge in and take a look at Deuteronomy um, 19, I'm sorry, Leviticus 19, uh, verses 9 and 10. It says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. So don't go right up to the boundary. You know, your field eventually comes to an end. Either you've got another field and you're planting something else in that one, or uh, your property comes to an end and the neighbor's got something going on over there. Uh, either way, don't go right to the edge. Leave a little bit on the edge. And if you miss something as you're going through the field, leave that too. Just, you know, don't, don't be so worried that you get every little bit of produce out of the land. So, so leave, your, leave the um, gleanings of your field. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. So, same thing, it doesn't, it's not just for grain or anything like that. It's for pretty much any kind of produce. Uh, leave some. And now why? You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. Now, on the off chance that, that I convince you Leviticus is such a great book that you go home today and say, I want to read Leviticus, uh, you're going to see this is the pattern of a lot of the Old Testament law. There will be a specific rule. Do this. Don't do that. Something like that. And then there will be an explanation of what is the purpose of the law. And the reason for that is because we're so good at wiggling out of things. Okay, so God gives us the letter of the law, but then he tells us what is the spirit of the law. The letter of the law is, is leave this, this part of your, your, your produce in the field. And then the spirit of the law is, it's for the poor. The purpose, the reason for this law is for the poor. And, and partly that's because we do tend to, to obey the letter of the law better than the spirit. There's also another purpose here. Um, uh, particularly with this one, uh, in, in pagan cultures, it's often something people would do is they'd make an offering to the, to the agriculture god, right? You leave a little bit of grain in the field as an offering to the agriculture god. So God is saying here, this is not for me. You're not, you're not doing me a favor by leaving the grain in the field. I'm not some agriculture god who needs that. No, this is for you. This is for the poor people among you. So God says, um, leave some in the field. And then the third part of a typical law, there'll be the, the, the letter, the spirit, and then finally, why? And the answer is, because I said so. I am the Lord your God. So uh, that's what God wants you to do, so do it. Now, um, Deuteronomy is similar. It's a little bit longer, but it's the same general idea. When you reap, this is now Deuteronomy 24. When you reap your harvest in the field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be left for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. 
Now, this time, instead of saying the poor, um, it says the uh, orphan and the uh, widow, as well as the alien. So one of the things we see here is what particular kind of poor is the subject of this law. Now, there are other parts of the law that deal with other people. But this is talking about what we would say are the working poor. There are other parts of the Old Testament law that say if, if someone is disabled, if they're blind, if they're lame, if they have some kind of a disability that keeps them from working, uh, you take care of them according to these different parts of the law. Uh, there's other parts of the law that say, what do you do with your close relatives? Okay, Your mother is getting on in years. She's not helping you out as much as she used to. Should you just kind of let your neighbors take care of her? No. There's different parts of the law that say, honor your mother and father, right? Or father and mother, however it goes. Um, honor honor the, the people whose birthdays are coming up and getting on in years. So, um, so uh, take care of... <laughs> take care of... Take care of uh, your family. So, so there's different parts of the law that concern different people. Disabled, uh, close family relations. This part of the law has to do with the working poor. People who have nobody else uh, who can take care of them. The alien, maybe he's got family in some other country, another part of this country, but he's here now. He needs help. Okay? Give him the opportunity to work. Okay? What about, what about the orphan and the widow? Well, there's been a death. So they don't have any close relative who can look after them. So this is taking care of people who can work but have no opportunity to work. Give them an opportunity to work so that they can, they can have something to live on. So it says this is for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. Uh, and, and now, again, uh, a purpose. And in this case, it doesn't say, because I said so. In this case, it says, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all your undertakings. Now, we've been looking over the last couple of weeks the way that, that margin actually is a blessing in our life, that we sleep better at night, we, we get fewer ulcers when we have margin, um, we get into fewer car wrecks when there's gaps between us and the car in front of us. It's the same idea, that that is certainly true, but I think that there's more here. I think that there's an idea here that um, uh, uh, the Lord is saying, when you are faithful with a little then I know I can trust you with more. Jesus says that, and I think that that's the idea here. It's not simply the kind of blessing you get from having margin in your life, but it's also, um, it gives God the, the opportunity to, to say, okay, here's somebody who can be trusted with more. So he says, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all your undertakings. And it goes on, it says basically the same idea, when you beat your olive trees, you poke them with a stick, olives that fall down, you harvest, you leave the rest, somebody else can climb up the tree and get the last ones, okay? Um, uh, with, your, with your olive tree, don't strip what's left. That shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, do not glean what is left. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. And then the motivation. Why, why, why? Why, why do we have to do this? And the answer, God says, is, remember, you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this. God is saying, this is the kind of God I am. My heart breaks for people who are in distress. Okay, I saw your people hundreds of years ago in the land of Egypt. You were slaves. You had nobody to look after you, so I liberated you. That's the kind of God I am. If you're going to be my people, that's the kind of people I want you to be. So God says, remember, you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this. So, that's, that's what the law says. So the question for us is, is what do we do with this? I think the first thing we can do, as I told you, is 
I think, appreciate the law a little bit better. It's easier for us to kind of gloss over everything in the Old Testament and say, well, that was then and this is now. But, but I think we have to ask ourselves, um, what, is this, uh, what, what can we learn about our own law by looking at this law? One of the things that jumps out at me is this is so comprehensible. It's so easy to understand. Um, the, 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 the entire Jewish law is about 200 pages um, in, in our pew Bibles, different Bibles with more footnotes or whatever. It may be a little bit bigger, but it's a couple of hundred pages. Uh, the United States Code, the United States Code is 200,000 pages. And I think we have to ask ourselves, is our law as a nation really a thousand times better than the Old Testament law? I don't think it is. This law is short, it's sweet, and it's comprehensible. When, when my dad was having to deal with Medicare uh, in relation to my mom's illness, one of the things he had to do ultimately is he had to hire a lawyer because he needed somebody to just kind of work the bureaucracy, just to, to make sure that all the forms and all the process was being done properly because it's such a swamp. It's, it's not that, it's not that the, the, the purpose is not good, it's just that who can do it? Um, I don't know, does Alaska have a 211 number? A lot of states have created these 211 numbers so that if you've got a problem, you can call up and an actual human will tell you, oh, there's actually a county agency that does that, or there's a state program for people in that circumstance, or there's a federal. So, so there's different uh, ways that we navigate the bureaucracy. And I think when you have 200,000 pages of federal law and then state law and city ordinances and so forth, you have to ask yourself, is this law really that much better than what we see in Scripture? So I think the first question is, is, is it... Is it is it even navigable? The other one is, is it humane? You know, some people, when they say, well, if I had a problem, I wouldn't go to the government. I don't need help from the government. I'm going to go work. Well, that's what this law enables. This law gives people an opportunity to work, um, not just for their dignity, but also because it's a job skill. If you're good at gleaning in a field, you're probably good at harvesting. Maybe next season you can get a job as a harvester. So it gives people the opportunity to hone their skills. But it's also humane for the person who's offering the help. Okay, it, it, it gives, it, it makes it easy for the person whose farm it is to do the right thing. What is easier than going home early, right? It's lunchtime. You got a little bit of the edges left over. You say, you know what? Let's just knock off early and leave that for the poor. It's easy to be good with this law. In 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 our culture, I don't know if that's always true. There was a church I admired in in uh, the last town I lived in. And I admired them because they were doing something very risky. Uh, when somebody would come to the church and they'd say, you know, you don't know me, but I've got, I've got a medical bill or I've got a... Um, um, uh, I've, <laughs> I've got a light in my eye. I've got, I've got a utility bill I need to deal with. I'm behind in my rent. Can you give me some help? What they would do is they'd say yes, and they'd hand the person a rake or a mop, or a broom, and they'd have the person work. And then when they were done, they'd give the person some money. And they did that. And I used to admire them because, because of all the advantages that that, you know, it's not a handout anymore. It's actually something that the person uh, earned. And I looked at them and I said, that's really neat. We're not going to do that at this church because it was just too hard. We had to have, um, uh, uh, we had to have money so we could pay people. And typically our church doesn't have any money uh, during the week. 
Um, so, so we had to have money. We would have had to have we would have had to ke- have record keeping to make sure that we had um, uh, didn't cross some threshold in terms of FICA and stuff like that. We would have had to have a review of our OSHA status and workman's comp and everything else, it was hard for us to do the right thing because of all the well-meaning laws. Um, and this law, it's easy. All you've got to do is go home early and you can help the poor. So I think we have to ask ourselves uh, about our law because when I read Matthew 25, Jesus says he separates the people, uh, the good from the, the, the righteous from the unrighteous, and he says, when I was hungry, you gave me to eat. He didn't say, I lobbied for a better law or a few thousand more pages of law. He said, did you help me when I was hungry? I think we have to ask ourselves not what legal environment we've created, but whether or not it's actually getting food to the hungry. And until it does, that's why non-governmental organizations like our church are probably going to continue to need to have food ministries and all the other ministries we participate in. So the first thing is to just to say, we need to ask ourselves not, is there a program for that? But is it actually doing a job? And then more practically, at a personal level, as I said, the, the, the lesson for us here with a lot of this is have margin. If you don't have margin in your life, you can't help other people. Uh, margin is the place where we are able to help other people. I was thinking about this. Here's, here's an easy example. I was in the library the other day, and I heard a baby crying. Imagine that. Um, and, and the baby was crying, and I, after about a minute, I thought, you know, come on, this is a library. Shut up, baby. And I looked over to see what the baby was doing, and the baby was in a, 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 a stroller, and the mom was pushing it back and forth while she texted somebody. And I immediately judged the woman as a bad mother, as you would naturally do there, not knowing her from Adam, but but knowing she must have been a bad, ba- bad mother because she was irritating me. Um, <laughs> but also because she was convicting, because I realized that's pretty much my posture in most mealtimes. Okay? When I'm at home at lunch with my family or, or dinner, you know, when the conversation gets boring, it's time to check Twitter. And I thought to myself, you know, I am reaping right up to the edge of my field. I am not leaving any opportunity for me to help other people just by listening to their story. Just to, these are family members. My God, these are family members, and I am being so efficient with my time. I'm, I'm multitasking. You ever multitask? I was multitasking. I was getting it done. But I was watching this mom in the library, and I thought, you know, I do that all the time. So maybe the way that you can not reap to the edge of your field is like me. Maybe you can put your phone back in your purse or your pocket and just get to the meal. Enjoy listening to people. Maybe that's the place you need to build some margin into your life. Maybe you need to get to the library, uh, to, to the library, to the airport um, in time that you can smile at people instead of uh, uh, frowning or, or yelling at them. Maybe, maybe it's something that's harder. Maybe you're looking at an opportunity in your work and you're saying, I'd really like to do that, but you know what? It would totally eat up my margin. I would go right to the edge of my field. I wouldn't have anything left if I went there. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to leave that place in my life because the margin is where we help other people. Thanks be to God. Amen.